Hello and welcome to Contemplations. We are covering part four of the cults. This is going to be the psychology of cults and we're going to be talking about some so-called cult experts and how they're all hacks and I hate them, as well as um, introducing some actual psychological um, concepts and speculating ourselves because I think we've got more qualification than the so-called experts to do so and I'll be explaining that first before we get into it, but we'll be making reference to lots of different cults here and um, Seeing as it's been quite well received, I'm sure I'll return to look at some other cults in the future, but I just didn't want to oversaturate you with cults. I think a bit of a change of pace for a while, as well as giving uh, Bo and Stelios a bit of a break from featuring on Contemplations, will probably be good. So, of course, I've unintentionally introduced you both already. Um, of course, we have Stelios, who is our philosopher, and of course, the, uh, the Boa Constrictor, BB Dade. That's um, a new one to me. Yeah, that, that was one I had in the back pocket. <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to come up with some, who is, of course, our historian. So first and foremost, um, it's worth mentioning that cult psychology is basically a sort of non-existent scientific field, if you're kind of going capital S scientific, in that there's, there's no actual science being done in it, really, in that there's no empiricism it's just people kind of speculating and being like I'm an authority figure therefore what I say holds weight which I find reprehensible because that kind of psychology is really irresponsible this is kind of why I have a bone to pick with psychoanalysis is that it's just one person's speculation and we were actually riffing about this before making fun of Freud being somewhat um, his theories reveal more about him than they do about human psychology and I think that that's also true of the, the cult experts. So I think these people are very self-aggrandizing, they're, they're hacks more or less, um, and they position themselves as experts in society and society viewed them as such because of course you, you, you don't doubt that if someone says, okay, I'm an expert at this field, I'm at the university um, you know, of Washington or Harvard or something like that, then you would presume, well, they're, they're a professor they know what they're talking about. Well, no, um, is the answer to that. Um, they tried to ride the wave of public interest in the 70s and 80s to become these public figures, um, seemingly for entirely self-serving reasons, because the quality of their understanding is really, really poor. In fact, it's probably one of the most egregious areas of psychology I've ever seen, which is saying something because I've looked at intersectional psychology I've looked at all their like feminist psychology. I've looked at all of this other stuff and at least they're kind of getting at something. They're trying to understand something that may well exist. Whereas the cult psychologists are just inventing concepts. Um, and, and it pains me to admit that, you know, there's anything to any of that other stuff. So you must know by now that I, I really despise these people. So I would say that their understanding is probably no better than a lay person. In some cases, it's actively harmful and therefore it's worse. I feel like people's intuitions would actually be more healthy for an understanding than um, their understanding. Because, for example, they often fail to distinguish between certain cognitive processes becoming harmful in a cult setting and how they function normally um, outside of that setting. Because, of course, you don't just have a little compartment in your brain where all of the cult things are and then all of the cult things manifest if you're in the cult scenario. No, these brain processes, they serve other purposes um, that are involved. 
And so you've got to be able to distinguish between when are these brain processes functioning normally, when are they um, unhealthy, um, unhelpful, abnormal in a cult setting? That's one of the key questions as a psychologist you've got to be able to answer. Of course, it wasn't even addressed, not, not, not once. And that, that is absurd to me that such a, a fundamental question uh, such as what's abnormal, what is normal um, in terms of cognitive processes, it, it never comes up. And th there's no discussion from these experts of, okay, this is the kind of thing you need to see in the world for it to start becoming abnormal. No, it's just, these are the concepts, these are always bad under every circumstance. And it's just like, oh right, so these are just socially constructed things. But we'll, we'll get onto that in a second. It's a bit of a frontier psychiatry. It is, yeah. It, that's a good way of putting it, really, because they certainly were sort of innovators in a sense, if, you, if they're actually innovating at all. They certainly helped introduce the, the field into public consciousness. But I think because of the damage they've done, no credible uh, sort of empirical psychologist wants to go in it because then you're forever going to be tarred as like a quack who's just making stuff up. Hmm. Although you could research cults with proper um, scientific methods quite easily, actually. Like you could compare their abilities in certain areas, um, say their critical thinking skills compared with people who aren't cult members or perhaps even other religious groups. There are lots of ways you can operationalize and measure what might be going on there. And that simply hasn't happened, it, it, not at all. I wasn't able to find pretty much any research that does this, which really surprised me because I would have thought that the world is ripe for it. But I suppose there's a couple of barriers in the way, the willingness of cult members to participate and uh, the ethical problems around it. Because of course, ethical clearance in psychology these days is actually very difficult um, if you're doing something of that nature. And so one would imagine that designing an experiment that would work that would also get ethical clearance would be quite difficult. And so that might be part of the barrier to it. But then also um, there will be exceptions provided if you could emphasize the fact that, okay, these are vulnerable people, they need to be understood. Um, and therefore the, the ethical risk is worth the reward if you can prove that there's some sort of clinical advantage to carrying out these studies. So it, it seems like it is possible, at least in my mind, from my understanding. One thing that I, one problem I have with psychiatry in the broadest sense, I, I don't think I'd say it's of no value or anything like that, but one of the red flags is when it comes to when psychiatrists have to decide if someone's clinically insane, fully clinically insane, they're not fit to stand trial, they just need to spend the rest of their life in a, in a secure uh, <coughs> hospital. Mm -hmm. And they largely quite often just don't agree. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah, someone will be looked at by um, like six different psychiatrists, and they all disagree on whether that person it, it should be responsible for their own actions or not. So there is, so it's not scientific, as you say. Mm. Um, it's just sort of people's opinions, and not that that has no value. But you know, let's just be honest about about it. It's not, it's not a science. No, I, I dislike how elitist it is. I find that if there is a, a form of therapy that I would you know, wholeheartedly recommend, it'd be the ones that are collaborative between the therapist and the patient. Each one works together to try and solve the problem rather than I'm gonna sit in this chair and tell you how your mind works. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but 
in in most cases, the person who understands their mind best is the person who inhabits it. <laughs> I know that that seems fairly obvious and uncontroversial, but yeah, what, if you approach clinical psychology in particular, um, although that's not necessarily what we're going to be talking about today, with that state of mind that you're trying to help the person, therefore you're going to point things out that you think might be possible and test it against their own intuitions and their own understanding, then that's going to be more healthy because I have a view of therapy and, and psychoanalysis and all that sort of stuff, whereby the they're just putting them on the right path for them to improve themselves. That's the, the desirous end goal. If people can be put in the right direction whereby their own actions can improve their life rather than them being entirely dependent on a professional, then they're set up to improve themselves and improve their situation far more than they would in an hour session once a week for, you know, six months, say. So that seems the best to my mind. But the um, the experts that we're going to be talking about today, one of my other gripes is that they seem to emphasize that cult psychology is kind of its own unique and distinct thing, um, separate from normal human psychology. And this doesn't really address one of the, the themes that we've identified previously, where there's similarities in some cults between religious beliefs, some not so. So how can there be this variability if it's so distinct? Because of course the Osho one, some of the structures of the social organization were a bit culty, but it wasn't a religion really. There, there were religious elements to it, sure, but formally speaking, it was more of a philosophy because it was inherently um, denying the metaphysical. They used the language of say transcendence and um, sort of cognitive expansion maybe. They wouldn't use that term, but that's basically what they were getting at. But what they meant was more psychological than anything else, I think. So it's difficult to pin down, but there is a lot of variability. And I think that we're going to get onto the, the definition of what a cult actually is finally at the end. Once we've been through everything and we've kind of dissected the psychology of it, it's much easier to pin it down. And I feel like I've got a relatively concrete definition um, that allows you to navigate the differences between these organizations and make distinctions between religions and things like that. So the final thing in the kind of nail in the coffin for cult experts for me is that they believe in these pseudoscientific concepts, like uh, there's the possibility for people to be brainwashed, which it doesn't exist. There's no evidence for that. It's basically, um, I'm not sure um, if you might be able to give us a bit of detail here, Bo, but in the Korean War, there was um, some sort of media story where American soldiers had been brainwashed by the Chinese to say that um, America was bad and China is good, rather than them just defecting. Mm. And I mean, yeah, it is possible for people to be a traitor. Mm -hmm. um, explaining that away by saying the Chinese had developed this kind of understanding of human psychology where they can insert... Um, entire worldviews into a person's head and make them parrot them. Mm. No, that's not how it works. In fact, brainwashing, as we know it, doesn't exist, like in, in the sort of sci-fi sense. The, the main thing that can happen is that people can have their minds changed, but you can't forcibly insert ideas in someone's head unless they're receptive to them. That's Or just terrify someone. Yeah. Because fear is the mind killer. Frank Herbert tells us. 
Um, yeah, if you just intimidate and terrify someone into just doing your bidding and then later explain it as though they've been brainwashed. Well, they haven't been brainwashed. What is, yeah, what is brainwashing? Well, that's not really a thing. Um, there, one thing, though, I would say is, I don't know if this is possible either. It's sort of an out there idea, but you can certainly break someone's mind. There's different ways of doing that. Well, uh, for example, you can you give might them like nerve a nervous breakdown or something like that, whereby they're they're clearly deeply psychologically damaged. Yeah, there's. I don't know if you ever heard. I think it's called white torture. I think mm -hmm. places like Iran might have done it, and and America. I'm not sure, but anyway, there's such a thing as white torture where they put you in a room with no windows, with a, a very bright white light in there, and everything in there is white. Every surface is white. There's just a, it's just a cell with a bed. And all the food they give you is just white. You're never let out. You're in solitary confinement it's in this place. Humza the, Yusuf's hell, yeah. And the lights are on 24-7, and you're kept in there in solitary for days, weeks, months, whatever. And apparently that does fairly quickly sort of kind of melt your mind. Um, it, it, it can drive it can you a bit mad, but it also doesn't... More than a bit mad. Mm -hmm. It but, doesn't insert any ideas in your mind. Right, well, that's what I was going to say. So there's something like that where it might be like, you might be able to argue that it's something like the first step in some sort of fictional concept of brainwashing, that you first wipe the slate clean. So something like that, I think, does exist. I think there's other ways that you can do that. You can sort of almost sort of wipe someone's mind where they're like a, they're like a gibbering wreck, wreck in well, some way. Like or you go clinically I, mad. Mm -hmm. But then the idea of, yeah, inserting then a whole new ideology and everything. I, I don't think that's ever been done. I don't think that exists. No, it's, it has never been done. Right. But... It's also not fair to say you're wiping their mind. Like if you oh, right, yeah, remove like a hard them, drive. Yeah. yeah. If you remove them from that environment, eventually they're going to return to normal. Maybe. If maybe. if you know, unless well, it's been not, too traumatic maybe. and then, you know, it's changed them, they get like a form of PTSD. Yeah, I think you can like would... put them in um like a soundproof black dark box, like in solitary confinement, but worse. And that can drive people a bit mad because the lack of um, sensory information make, makes the brain start generating stuff. They, they almost start getting symptoms of schizophrenia, like you can hear voices and see shapes and colours that aren't there and things like that. But then it is entirely possible to take that person out of that environment and return to normal, depending on the person and depending on how traumatic the circumstances are. Because there's also, you know, if you willingly enter that thing, like a sensory deprivation tank, People do that for meditation purposes. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't have to be torture. But that's obviously short. Like yeah. The idea of white torture is it's for maybe weeks or months or something, or mm -hmm. even longer, who knows? Yeah. There's other th examples, aren't there? Like the classic Chinese water torture where you're strapped to a bed and one drop of water drops on the middle of your forehead at a, at a regular rate. But again, for days or weeks or months or something, um, it can sort of, yeah, send you completely mad. But again, that's just nothing close to this sort of classic idea, almost maybe a comic book concept of brainwashing, where we're going to get rid of everything you think and everything you are and insert a new version. I think that there it's are uh, other ways to view brainwashing because, um, for instance, there are people who are vulnerable and especially when they are in states of vulnerability, they're really susceptible to suggestion. And well, that's uh, certainly true, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. don't see that. I don't see 
why the concept of brainwashing is a bad concept. Maybe one understanding. Well, it doesn't it. exist is why it's a bad concept. As in, it, it, there's no provable. Um, there's no evidence for it whatsoever. In fact, there's evidence uh, to the contrary. It seems to me you're talking about a particular conception of brainwashing, right, yeah, like I the so. comic yeah. one. But um, the idea that there are vulnerable people who are prone to suggestion seems mm -hmm. to me to be all-pervading in but what I think we're that discussing that, in that's about cults. kind of muddying the water because suggestibility is a different concept entirely than the concept of brainwashing because, you know, the, these are specific psychological terms that have been kind of coined that have specific definitions. And we will be talking about susceptibility. And I, I agree with your point that um, there are people who you could suggest something and just by their disposition, they're like, oh yeah, that maybe you're right, that sort of thing, whereby they will personally take it on internally. Normally like a high agreeableness in the big five um, personality in inventory is a good indicator of whether they're going to take that on board. And I think we're going to give a, a proper breakdown, but I think that that's uh, do one of the- Do you want to leave that for, the, for later? I think so, yeah, okay, because I'm, I'm talking about the hacks first. We can't talk about any proper ideas like that one. Um, I was just going to say, super quickly, and I will talk about it later, but mm -hmm. aren't we all susceptible to some degree? Of course, uh, yeah. Right, right. Nobody's, Nobody's un unsusceptible. Zero. Right, yeah. right. Well, okay. you, so it's if, just a question of degrees then. Mm -hmm. right. If okay. you weren't susceptible to being convinced, then you would never change your mind. Mm -hmm. Right. which, you know, would be a far worse problem to have than being, you know, easily convinced, I think. Just being completely pig-headed in, in your opinions. It's also worth mentioning as well, um, they believe that mind control is possible, which, um, yeah, that's sci-fi nonsense. Um, also that hypnosis can help in some way, like deprogram them. That's the term they use, by the way. They say, oh, we deprogram the cult members, which sounds culty in and of itself, which That's basically so is like their own way of manipulating their psychology as they see fit, quite often forcibly against the individual's will. So yeah, it's like some sort of um, uh, intellectual struggle session, I think is the politest way of, of putting it. But um, these, these concepts don't have e any evidentiary basis in psychology. This was known at the time as well, so they can't be forgiven in the 70s and 80s. They knew that they were the ones creating these concepts, but they did it anyway. Um, and I think that they've had an entirely destructive influence on public consciousness and knowledge about cults, like the whole notion are, oh, you've been brainwashed and you're in a cult. Like That's a, a relatively commonly used phrase when talking about this sort of thing. And that, to me, seems like uh, a kind of an appalling abuse of abuse of your authority and your position in um, a university. And so these people have also positioned themselves in legal cases. Um, they um, have testified as experts, basically trying to determine whether someone is guilty, innocent, whether they're lying about their condition or, you know, they're a psychopath that can't be released. These, these things are um, very questionable because these people should not be recognized as experts. I don't even think they should be allowed to speak their opinions publicly at this point. <laughs> I think they should be locked up. Um, they, they don't seem to have any understanding of the phenomenon, which sounds very strong, but w when you see what I, I'm going to be looking at soon enough, you'll understand why I think that. So they have also sought to help those who have left cults 
Um, obviously, they don't have any evidence for their methods, but these sort of deprogramming programs that they have, uh, they're kind of counter um, indoctrinating, I suppose, is the, the fairer term. They're just trying to bring them back away from their own beliefs towards beliefs that are closer to their own, as in they themselves, the individual who's trying to deprogram them. But then that's fraught with its own questions as well, because of course, if you're a, a, a health professional with status and authority, and you're basically inserting your worldview in another person who's probably questioning their own worldview to a certain extent, how can that be ethical? You are just trying to implant your own understanding of the world around you and, your, and what a person's place in it is. You're not trying to help them necessarily. You're not working together to fix the problems that the cult member has identified. You're imposing your own understanding and will on the person. There's a sort of hierarchical element to it that I find disgusting, that you're using your position of authority not to help a person necessarily, but to put ideas in their head that you think are right. And, you know, when someone's vulnerable, uh, as Stalios was saying, that someone might be quite suggestible, well, what huge amount of damage that can do. Like you're just saying, okay, you should believe this. You're also setting them up as well to be more um, easily convinced by future people because you're an authority figure that is saying, you need to believe this, this, and this. And surely if that dynamic somehow helps them somewhat, then they're going to go away from it thinking, well, I need to listen to people who tell me what to think from now on. And that's like the worst possible thing that you could do to a cult member because of course they've, they've got a proven track record of being susceptible to that sort of thing. What, what do you both think? I don't know exactly the method that is used. Mm -hmm. it, they're pretty um, vague about it themselves, but okay. it varies between um, individual to individual yes. because they're more in that sort of psychotherapist yeah. realm. And so they don't have yes. um, these formalized practices necessarily. They kind of have free reign to a certain extent. Obviously, there are some limitations. Uh, okay, let me say one thing about how I would proceed in particular cases and tell me if you think that this is uh, really bad. So. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe what I'm saying is not the method used. Maybe you're... Um, there isn't necessarily yeah, a formal method, but, but I have propositions based yes. on so pre-existing ones. For me, it's all about the attitude and the way in which you approach people. I cannot see how we can relate without uh, saying to each other what we think is right and what we think is true. So I think that this... Just trying to, in, in a way, you could say that all kinds of conversation try to get the other person to see the world in the way you see it. Mm -hmm. So if that is manipulation, then all kinds of conversation are manipulation. But there's certainly a hierarchy of that, isn't there? In that you could say, well, you can ask someone the question like, oh, what do you think about this? Yes. And you ask, lead them on yes. to elaborate their own thinking yes. with questions, like probing questions. Yes. You get them to articulate it. And then on, yes. the, on the other side of that, you could be like, well, the world works like this, this and this. You need to do this. Okay. Um, so I, I see this and I think that it has to do with, uh, again, the attitude and whether you approach people with with a fallibilistic attitude because none of us are in can make infallible self-ascriptions 
we're all prone to make mistakes, whether we're talking about ourselves or about other people. So it seems to me that it is good if we try to talk to other people and try to make them see the world the way we see it, but also tell them that we could be mistaken. It seems to me that this is absent in lots of cults because there is supposed to be a kind of blind obedience to the authority of someone. And if a person, uh, let's say if a friend of mine was uh, involved in what I think is uh, cult or cult thinking, I would tell them. Well, and I think that's in, in that case, yeah. in that case, this could be seen as forceful. But I would tell them, I think that what you're doing is problematic. I think that it is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But the difference harmful. there is, you're not using your power as you know an authority figure to say, okay, I'm deprogramming you. You need to go through with this. Sometimes <clears throat> they would, you know, get this through legal means. They would use the backing of, say, the justice system or something like that to forcibly deprogram someone rather than you giving a friend who, you know, the power dynamic is, you know, your peers, aren't you? Yes. And so you're you're not using your authority to tell them how the world is. You're speaking from a point of concern. They can kind of take your advice or leave it if you I will. can definitely see though how that could uh, be how that could take place in a concrete context in which if uh, that person could stop thinking me as a friend, mm -hmm. for instance, and, and then I could be, I, I, w I would tell them, listen, you're an ideologue, okay? You're a cultish member. I, I, I would speak with in a more authoritative uh, manner. I don't think, I, because I would not want to necessarily force the other person to see the things uh, the way I see them, but I would want to wake them up. And mm -hmm. I don't know, and I think that in some cases you need to get some people to wake up at what they're doing. If you see someone heading towards a towards a crevice and they're going to harm themselves, I think that if you care about them, you have to tell them somehow. And they may not want they may not want to listen. So how do how do you get them to listen there? Well, you can never make someone listen, and if they're so resistant as to ignore healthy advice and things like that, then you've almost done and exhausted what you can because at the end of the day, you can't forcefully change someone's mind, can you, really? You, they've got to be willing to do it, which is one of the problems with brainwashing in the first place is that for someone to have their mind changed, they've got to be open to the idea. Mm -hmm. if, you've, if you're completely set on an idea being true, no amount of evidence or argument or anything is going to change your mind by definition. And so um, you you can only do so, so much. And I think that when it's getting to the point where someone is um, unable to see the an outside perspective on their situation, then you start getting into sort of mental health areas whereby mm. they're so lost inside their own head that even an outside perspective completely, you know, brushes off their back. It's, you know, they're basically indifferent to it. And that point seems to be one of the points whereby it's very difficult to help someone. They've kind of got to be willing to help themselves. And this is one of the things we see play out in lots of cults is that someone joins a cult, people try and convince them out of it. They're not um, convinced. And then they go into the cult, have some bad experiences, 
and then eventually they start changing their mind. Well, maybe this is bad. And then someone challenges their beliefs and like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, maybe it was wrong. And then they can leave. That's the sort of um, blueprint I've seen for people who have just come out of cults somewhat naturally, if you will, not necessarily with um, the intervention of these experts, although I don't doubt that there, there may well have been some um, element of that going on. But still, I think the important thing is that the key thing is the individual's mind. It, that's it. It's not, you can't externally force ideas on someone. Hmm. What do you reckon, Bo? Yeah, in my experience, in real world, in real, real life, to convince someone to change their own mind is extremely difficult. And also in my experience is the only time I've ever been successful with it is with an extremely light touch over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Just suggest things to people. And if they really kick back on it at all, just let it go. Say, okay, fine, 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 no worries. And then maybe leave it a long time before bringing it up again. Maybe wait for a choice moment when you think maybe they're starting to have doubts. And again, very, very softly, softly suggest again that perhaps <clears throat> perhaps they're wrong and what you're suggesting is right. That's the only real way I've had any real success at changing someone's mind. If you're arguing with someone and you're butting heads in a conversation, they're not changing their mind. They're going to be doubling down, if anything, usually, nearly always. Not always, but you know, nearly always. Um, so if someone's absolutely convinced, sort of dogmatically convinced about something, about the truth of the cult that they're following, for example. In my experience, it's, it's, it's impossible to sort of sit them down and just convince them, you know, in a sort of a hardball way that they're wrong, that they're, they're wrong-headed. Um, so yeah, and so it, it, it's just a sort of a delicate process, I think. And mm. yeah, you you have to convince them really that they've come to the conclusion <laughs> that they that they were wrong all along. That's the only real mm -hmm. way. Um, and you know what it's like. I mean, some very enlightened people, not very enlightened, but some people, you can convince them, you can argue them into, paint them into a corner, and they'll say, you know, in real time, they'll say, you know what, I, I was wrong. You must be right. Some people do do that. I've done that once or twice. When someone's absolutely dominated me in an argument. And I've been like, okay, I've got nowhere left to go. You must be right. But it's hard to do, to sort of swallow your pride like that. I it's did very it hard yesterday. To do. Most people don't mm. do that. They'll go to absurd lengths in order to not do that mm -hmm. quite often. Most most people. Um, uh, but there you go. Yeah, if you can. So when someone sort of like say, maybe it's got to the point of being a, a, a dogma in their mind, um, it's very difficult, and especially if you sort of lock them up, you put them in a, like I say, a, a mental hospital, you have a, a panel of psychiatrists grilling them, telling them what to think now. It's probably the worst thing you could, it's, it's not a great idea, I don't mm -hmm. think, but I mean, what can you do? If people are, because there's different cults, aren't there? Like the Osho people are pretty innocent people, really, aren't they? They're not a danger. <laughs> Well, maybe not then, that, that well, Sheila exactly. lady who well, tried to poison her, the salad bar and right, yeah, not, murder okay, people. Yeah, she was, yeah. She, but, you know, the normal mm -hmm. rank and file 2023 Osho member, I'm sure, is, is not, a, not a worry. But then you've got, you know, people that follow, um, you know, Charles Manson or something, like real killers. Um, yeah, yeah, keep them in a prison or, or a secure hospital and, until they're, or well, maybe forever, but, you know, until they're, they've changed their mind. 
with the Manson family, though, you could just lock them up and, and basically leave them. You don't have to challenge their ideas because mm. time, uh, you know, in jail is good introspection time. And so you would think that, oh, yeah, the reason I'm here is because some random bloke told me to kill some celebrities. You know, you've already set yourself up for a realisation there. It's not even just sort of Manson family members. What about Islamists? where their ideology is that infidels really deserve death or um, apostates should be killed, gay people should be killed uh, and views about women being of less value than uh, as humans and things. It's, it would be difficult to change their mind just to bombard them with, with liberal ideas, liberal <laughs> in the old sense, in the old sense, not that sort of the Obama sense, um, just to bombard them with sort of fair-mindedness, the concept of fair play. <laughs> like, it's not going to work, right? It's not really going to work. Well, Thank you for watching that clip from my series Contemplations. If you want to sign up to the website for £5 a month, you can access that series, which comes out 1pm every Saturday. Thank you for watching, and goodbye.